From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, where we study Torah every day at noonish. All right, uh, more ish than noon at this point. Good to see you all on this fine Wednesday, May 25th. And Torah portion this week is Bechukotai. Yesterday, we got walloped. I don't know about you, but it was brutal, brutal yesterday. We read about the curses, the tochacha. God says, you know, the Torah portion opens up nice enough. You know, the parsha opens up with, well, if you do the mitzvot, if you study Torah, then, oh man, all these blessings, all these wonderful, beautiful things are going to happen. And then the other shoe drops, right? And then at some point, not too far in to our Torah portion, the other shoe drops. And it says, but if you don't, if you don't follow my commandments, if you turn away from me, then everything turns ugly, God forbid, right? Everything looks different. So that's what we read yesterday, 49 curses or 49 um, punishments, if you will, that were cited, that are cited in this week's Torah portion. We read them all yesterday. Now, in today's reading, today's reading talks about uh, how, you va- how you evaluate dedications to the temple. If you want to give a gift or a donation to the Holy Temple or to the Mishkan, so then how do you, how do you figure out the, the value of that before we get into that? What I mentioned yesterday, amongst other things, is that there are different ways to hear things. There's a way to hear something as a curse. There's also a way to hear something as a blessing. And a person might say, oh, yeah, one second, I'm being objective. This is objectively a curse. And I hear that. And I would never disagree with someone's perspective. However, what I would say is, there might be another way of interpreting this, that maybe it's not a curse, maybe it is indeed a blessing. Someone else might see it as a blessing. You know the, uh, the story that I like telling about the two boys, two brothers. One was, a, one was a pessimist, right? Everything was terrible. The other one was an optimist. Everything was great. So the parents decided to do a social experiment or a, uh, I don't know, psychological experiment. And they... While the kids were in school one day, they filled each of their rooms with something else. So the boy who was the, so the boy who was the pessimist, nothing's good. So they filled his room with toys. And the kid, the boy who was an optimist, they filled with horse manure. Yeah, just, just kind of see what's going on here. And you guys know, all know the story. I'm just saying it just for the sake of, of repeating it. The kid, the, the, the kids come home from school, they go to their rooms, and the pessimist goes to his room, he opens up the door, toys everywhere, brand new toys, amazing. He starts crying, parents say, what's wrong? He says, oh, these toys, need so many batteries, we don't have the batteries, then it's, the batteries are going to die, and then the toys are going to break, and then my brother's going to want to borrow it, and my friends are going to break them, up, 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 the whole story about why everything's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. And what about the other kid, the optimist? He goes to his room, opens up the door, horseman or this kid is laughing and woohoo, he's throwing it around and, and jumping for joy. Say, what's going on? He says, with all this, 
horse manure. There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Anyway, the point is, what is a blessing and what is a curse? A lot has to do, a lot has to do with our perspective. So I mentioned at the end of yesterday's session that there's a great story in the Talmud that teaches us about the power of perception and how we hear things, how we perceive reality. Perception is reality. This is something that we know based on the Sefirot. Bina is our analytical ability. Bina. There's Chachma, Bina, and that. Bina is one of the three intellectual faculties that we have. Three of the intellectual powers that a human being possesses. What is Bina specifically as opposed to Chachma and that? Bina is framing. Bina is how you understand something. It's not what it is, it's how you understand it. There's two elements. There's what the thing is, and then there's the way you perceive it to be, the way you understand it. That's the spin that your mind puts on any given thing, which is why the same fact could be in place for two people and they would have two different perspectives. Two people witness the same thing and they have two different stories about what happened. How's that possible? It happens all the time. How's that possible? The answer is because there's two elements here. There's what happened and there's what it means. And what it means is already where our brains start imposing a frame, a frame around the context around what actually objectively happened. Everybody has a different frame. That's your Bina. Your Bina is different than my Bina. I mean, I hate to reveal these, uh, reveal these truths of Kabbalah and spill the binas. But that's, sorry, how to do that. But that's the way it works. That's the way it works. Two people have the same experience. They see the same thing. They hear the same news. Two people have the same type of experience happen to them. One person deals with it one way. Another person deals with it another way. Or more than dealing with it. One person experiences it one way and another another way. What constitutes, what differentiates? Same thing happened. What's the difference? Bina. Bina is the framing. So my point here is, we're going to read a story that illustrates the power of framing. Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai will, sell, will send, not sell, send his son to some colleagues of his. They will proceed to tell him things that he sees, he interprets as curses, the worst. He'll come back to his father and his father will tell him, ah, you don't know how to understand what, what they said. These are not curses. These are blessings. Let's read the story inside from the Talmud. All right, let me share my screen. Here we go. This is not going to be the normal screen. We're not looking at Bechukotai, although clearly we are now. I don't know why I would say we're not looking at it and then click on it. Anyway, but we're not going to stick on the typical Torah reading for Bechukotai reading four page initially. We're going to go to my safaria.org Moed Katan 9b page. Moed Katan is one of the tractates in the Talmud. And we're studying now page 9b of this Talmudic tractate. Here we go. This is a story. Story begins... Well, it doesn't matter where the story begins, but we're going to start right here. When Rabbi Yonatan ben Asmai you guys see that, where my mouse is right here? Yeah. Okay. And Rabbi Yehuda, son of converts, noticed Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai's son. 
They said to him, what do you want here? So he said to them, by the way, his son's name was Elazar. Elazar. He said to them, father told me, go to them so that they should bless you. Okay, so this kid, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai's kid, goes to Rabbi Yonatan ben Asma and Rabbi Yehuda. They say, why are you here? He says, to get a blessing from you. My dad told me to get a blessing from you. They said to him as follows, listen to the words that they said. May it be God's will that you should sow, but not reap. That you should bring in and not take out. That you should take out and not bring in. That your house should be destroyed. And your lodging place should be inhabited. That your table should become confused. And that you should not see a new year. And I know what you're thinking. There's only one way to understand this. These are horrible curses, right? Imagine you tell somebody, you should sow plant and not reap. You work hard and nothing's going to grow. You kidding me? I should invest, invest, invest in something and it doesn't take off? That's a blessing. You should bring in and not take out. Take out and not bring in. Things don't work out. Your house should be destroyed. That's a blessing. Your lodging place where you live should be inhabited by someone else. That's a blessing. Your table should become confused. Blessing. You should not see a new year. Horrible. That's what they said to Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shem ben Yochaisan. When he came back to his father, by the way, his father was the Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. The Rashbi was the great mystic, the great Kabbalist, the author of the Zohar. He was also a great Talmudic scholar. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai is mentioned in every single Talmudic tractate. He was proficient in every area of Jewish law and Jewish conversation, including the mystical teachings. So when he, the son, came back to his father, the Rashbi, he said to him, not only did they not bless me, but they caused me pain with their negative words. His father said, slow down, slow down, cowboy. What exactly, I'm adding the word cowboy. What exactly did they say to you? They were mystics and cryptic speakers. They were into crypto, crypto, crypto language. Right? Not cryptocurrency. That's the way, it's the way the why, great scholars talk. I'm sorry. Why is it necessary? What is the... We spoke yesterday. So, so yesterday we spoke about that. Right? That no, sometimes no. You, can't, you can't smuggle light into the world oh, right. in, a, uh, in a transparent package. You got you to gotta do a little bait and switch. Why? Because there are dark forces that wish to intervene in the transmission of light. If it looks like light... They're going to jump on it. If it doesn't, you can get it through security. You can get it through the border. So take a look. But that's the answer in Kabbalah. Why in the Talmud? I don't know. But, but let's, uh, let's see what this says. So he answered. In other words, he says, Father said to the son, what they say? So here's what the son said. They said to me such and such. And such and such means he, he gave them the full narrative. The Talmud's not going to repeat it because we just, it's literally right here, right? It's right there. So he answered. Father told his son, no, sorry. Rabbi Shem ben Yochai said to his son, these are all blessings. They're all blessings uttered in a cryptic manner. And this is what they mean. You ready? Now he breaks it down for him. When they said to you that you should sow and not reap, that means that you should bear sons and they should not die. The statement that you should bring in and not take out means that you should bring in brides for your sons 
and your sons should not die, which would cause their wives to leave if they would be widows. When they said you should not, you should take out and not bring in, they meant that you should have daughters that leave, right, your house, and their husbands should not die, which would cause your daughters to return to you. So again, let's break down the first three. Sow and not reap means children who will live. When it says that you will bring in and not take out, that means you will bring in daughters-in-law. Your sons will, will take wives and they'll be healthy. Uh, when it says you'll take out and not bring in, it means your daughters, will get, your daughters will get married to others. And, uh, they will, and the husbands will live and the daughters won't have to come back home to the house. When they said that your house should be destroyed and your lodging place inhabited, this should be interpreted allegorically. As this world is compared to your lodging place and the world to come compared to your house, as it is written, their inward thought, Kirbam, is that their houses shall continue forever. The sages say, do not read it as their inward thought, Kirbam, rather as, read it as their graves, Kivram. According to this reading, one's grave is considered his permanent house. The sages gave Rabbi Shimon Yochai's son a blessing that he should dwell in his temporary home rather than his permanent home, i.e. he should live a long life. In other words, in other words, um, what's the language that they said? Let's start from the top of this paragraph here, okay? They said to him, your house should be destroyed and your lodging place should be inhabited. What does that mean? Sounds like a curse. Your house should be destroyed, your lodging place should be inhabited. What does that mean? So the interpretation that we just read, I'm just explaining it, hopefully in a clearer way. Your house, there's two, two elements, house and lodging place. Lodging place means kind of a temporary place. House is a more, a more permanent address. Lodging place is where you're hanging out on vacation. So in Jewish thought, this world, this lifetime, this, this, right here, this, this body is temporary. It's temporary. It's a lodging place. What's the permanent? The permanence is the soul. Sim symbolized by the afterlife and the grave, whatever. I mean, symbolized by death, essentially. What is death? Death is the transition away from the temporary status of life to the permanent status, what was before and what, what is after. Point is, your house should be destroyed means forget about the grave. Forget about the afterlife. Your lodging place should be inhabited. You should live a long life right here, right now. That's the blessing. You with me on this? That your lodging place, your temporary sojourn in this world should be a very long one, a long and rich one. That's the blessing that they gave Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai's son that he could not understand. When they said that your table should be confused, this meant that you should be blessed with many sons and daughters so that there will be noise and confusion at your table. When they said that you should not see a new year, they meant that your wife should not die, and as a result, you should not have to marry another woman, about which it says, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall be charged with any business. He shall be free at home for one year. When it says you should not see a new year, you should not see a new year of having to remarry someone else after... Uh, after uh, um, the wife passes away and then have another year of the first year of marriage. I'm going to explain that one. Jewish law says something about a shana rishona, first year. There's restrictions on what a husband may do in the first year of marriage. Husband is supposed to, well, I mean, it really works both ways, but, uh, you know, back in the day, certainly, it was more likely that the husband would be 
the one going to work. So in Jewish law, the husband is encouraged to stay at home. I mean, not 24-7, but to be more local and spend time with his new bride, with his new wife, for the first year. After a year, you, you know each other already. Okay, so then, you know, life can, can take on its various pursuits. But it's a very nice, um, it's a very beautiful idea in Jewish, uh, Jewish tradition, in Jewish law, talks about Shana Rishona. And that's why the first year, Shana Rishona means literally the first year, first year of marriage. And that's why in the Torah, which we've studied before, probably multiple times, in Deuteronomy it says, and it was quoted right here, in the Talmud, it says that when a war breaks out and you're drafting soldiers for the army, anyone in the first year of marriage, you don't take. Right? Whoever's in their first year of marriage is not eligible. Nope, we don't want you. Why? Go home to your wife. First year. You're not supposed to go out to war in the first year of marriage. You stay home with your, with your wife. You get to you, you build a relationship in that un, unencumbered, un, undisturbed fashion. That's what Jewish law says about the first year. So when the rabbis cursed, when they told Rabbi, they didn't curse, they blessed, but when they told Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai's son, may you not see another year, may you not see a new year, what they meant is, please God, you'll get married, and your wife will live very long, and your wife won't pass away to the point that you have to have, you have to see a new year, another first year of marriage for the new wife after the first one passed away. These are all blessings. These are all blessings shrouded in cryptic language, encoded in <laughs> cryptology, making up phrases, right? It's very cryptic. Why? As we said yesterday and today, it's so that the blessings will not be attacked by Klippa and Sitra by the negative forces, the shell on the other side, in the language of Kabbalah. Those are the forces of negativity that attack when they see something happening. It's why we say, Kenayin Hara. That's why we say, may there not be an Ayin Hara. Why? Because we know when there's good things around, that's when negative forces can attack, whether it's in the form of a person being jealous or the form of spiritual energies that wish to sabotage good, good blessings. The Talmud says, a blessing only rests in something that's hidden from the eye. You want something to be blessed? Keep it on the down low. Keep it quiet. Keep it on the down low. Don't Obviously, if you need to, you know, put something in play and you need to get people involved, don't keep it on the download from them. But in general, blessings happen in a discreet fashion. So these blessings were told to, to the son of Rabbi Shem ben Yochai in a discreet fashion. I know what you're thinking. But he, so the father ruined it for the son because he, he revealed, he, he told them what's going on. He leaked the blessings. He leaked the meaning. Okay, all right, what are you going to do? At some point, you know, the message was delivered. But they didn't want to say something in an, in an obvious way. So they said, you know, you'll, uh, you'll sow and you won't reap. But you'll take in, you won't take out. You'll, you'll take out, you won't take in. These types of your table will become confused. Your, your house will be destroyed. Your dwelling place will be inhabited. All things that speak essentially to life and happiness and Life? Well, hold on. What, what, are they, what are the messages? Maybe only life. Yeah. Essentially only life. Long life. That's all, all the blessings. Your children should be healthy. Their, in, their, 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 their spouses should be healthy. 
Everyone should live long and prosper. Yeah. The only thing is, these are great blessings which are hidden. But it doesn't make sense that there would be blessings for not following God's commandments. Oh, excellent question. Excellent question. Mark is asking the... uh, the, the, the big question. Excellent. Mark is saying that the whole thing doesn't make sense. You're telling me that these curses are really blessings. Sure, in the story with the, the Talmudic story of Rabbi Shem ben Yochai's son who went to the rabbis for a blessing and they said these weird things, but they're actually blessings. Sure. But the Torah prefaces this. If you don't listen to my word, if you don't follow my ways, then X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And they're negative things. If you mess up, there are going to be consequences. So now you're telling me, Kabbalah says, they're blessings. Why would you get blessings for doing the wrong thing? That's your question. That's a great question. Yeah. It, a, sounds, like it, it sounds like it's better to do, it sounds like it's better not to follow God. Right. Oh, you're telling me that these are really blessings in disguise that are really the greatest yeah. blessings that have to be smuggled yeah. in. And how do you get these? It's only if you, you mess up. Great. Where do I sign up? <laughs> what are we breaking first? Excellent question. So that's why. Yeah, exactly. So that's what, right. So that's why we have to. That's why we have to do two things. Number one, we have to balance the um, the straightforward meaning of the text with the mystical understanding of the text. And sometimes, look, seventy facets, right? You have different different angles of study. And sometimes they align perfectly, and sometimes they just, you know, different facets that you're noticing. So the simple understanding is, correct, it's a punishment. These are all punishments, God forbid, that result because of our indiscretion. So we mess up, God says, all right, you're going to pay the price. This is what's going to happen. And as I mentioned yesterday, all of these things have come to pass. There's nothing that we read yesterday, the 49 curses, nothing that hasn't happened. Yeah. I mean, we've also had good things happen, right? It's not only bad, but all of the negative things, they've all happened. Even like, to me, the most horrific, the cannibalism, I guess it's right there in in, in the books of the prophets. It's there, it happened. So, I mean, rounded up by the enemies and, 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 and afraid of the enemies and afraid of our own shadow. Yeah, yes, we've had that. So on a simple level, on a straightforward level, yeah, that's exactly what it means. We, 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 we stray, we turn away from God, and, you know, and uh, God forbid negative things might happen. However, the deeper understanding is that when we mess up and then we, we fight our way back, that unleashes the greatest blessings, the blessings that come through the negativity. And so we wouldn't say that, yes, the greatest blessings come through sin directly, but the greatest blessings result from having been in a place of negativity. And I hope that makes sense. In other words, it's the rebound, it's the teshuva rebound that can reveal, um, that can reveal the, uh, the power of these curses turned blessings. In other words, when you read these verses in our Torah portion, what do you see? A curse. You read it through a deeper place, ah, now you can see a blessing. That's what life is. We did something wrong. You look at it on the surface, it's a mistake. It's a sin. It's a transgression. It's, a, uh, it's an indiscretion. 
But when you look at it through a deeper perspective, i.e. through a chuva perspective, and say, hold on, what lesson can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? Now you're starting to unpack the blessing inherent in the curse. Yeah, Donna. So the we're here we're talking about blessings, meaning wishes, hoped for. But Tanya 26 talks about when the blessings are not revealed, when they are not experienced by us Correct. in this physical world. And so that's what I'm having, that's what I'm still, you know, working on trying to understand. Like it says, just as one recites a blessing for his good, so it's saying sadness or worry caused by lack of such essentials as children, health, or livelihood. And we should say thank. We should thank Hashem for this situation. That and chapter in Tanya is one of the most, um, it's, it's a very difficult chapter to integrate. And it's based on, it's predicated on a very fierce, a very strong foundation of faith and trust in God. And from that platform of faith and trust in God, a person has a perspective, a different perspective of what's happening to them. It's very hard to jump into that chapter without, without a, lot of, a, a, lo- a lot of work. And, and I don't know, you know if anybody is really you know, mastering that thing. I, mean, I, I don't know everybody on the planet Earth, but it's very hard. It would be very hard for someone to really live that 24-7 and not have many moments of frustration and anger and sadness about the stuff that's going on in their lives at any given moment. But it's an aspiration. And you know, I, I don't want to make this class right now about that chapter in Tanya. It's a very difficult chapter. There's no, there's no way around it. It's a lifetime of avodah. Is it talking about the afterlife? Is that it? The afterlife? No, it's talking about right now. Right now. right now. Because it says revealed... Okay, I mean, the hidden spiritual world is higher than the revealed spiritual world once derived and apparent and revealed good. Right. That means the source, that's the source of the flow from those higher worlds manifests in a way that doesn't seem so positive. Again, it's, we'll have to leave that for another time. It's a big, it's a big discussion. I know it intersects a little bit with what we're talking about, but you're right. There is a distinction, and I mentioned it yesterday, between um, Tanya, where he's talking about, in that chapter, he's talking about the experience of positive versus negative or negative versus positive as opposed to here where we're talking about the blessings of positive or negative and how we interpret it. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll have a few moments before the end of July. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Listen, I, I, I don't know if we're doing a Tanya class right now, but uh, we, we certainly have gone through it. I don't have recordings from it. That was back in the day, as, uh, as Mark will, will remember, around the table you know, we didn't want to record it because, you know, we would just hear us enjoying chicken soup and other, uh, other conversations. Those classes were never recorded. So um, what happened in Tanya stayed in Tanya. I think we recorded after when we were doing on Zoom, like the last stretch, I think we recorded some of those Think Different. We called it Think Different at that point. Anyway, I would recommend there are some resources on Tanya that you might want to look at. Steinzeltz, Rabbi Steinzeltz has a commentary on Tanya and a few others have commentaries on Tanya. I can kind of, you know, offline, I can point out some, some, some texts that perhaps might be, uh, um, you know, might be of some, of some help or some benefit. And uh, yeah, so that is that. Also Chabad.org. 
I would check Chabad They have a whole section on Tanya with different classes, audio classes, video classes, and other resources um, that might be, again, might be helpful. Not just a straight translation, but commentary. You'll hear from scholars, maybe Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi Friedman. I, you know, there might be some, uh, some, some really helpful um, language on that. All right, without further ado, let's jump into today's reading. All of this was in reference to what we read yesterday, very heavy reading yesterday. Today, we talk, we switch to a new topic. Again, donations and valuations. Leviticus chapter 27, verse number 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man expresses a vow, pledging the value of lives to the Lord. So a person says, I pledge the value of a man to the Lord. In other words, he wants to donate a certain amount of money to the temple, to the Mishkan. But he says the value of you know, a person to the temple. So how do you evaluate? How much is a person worth? Torah doesn't get into the details of how much accomplishment and education and skill set. Standard metrics here. The fixed value of a male shall be as follows. From 20 years old until 60 years old, the value is 50 silver shekels, according to the holy shekel. And if she is a female, the value is 30 shekels. Yeah, I, I've, I'm doing the math also. I'm with, yes, 50 shekels for the guy, 30 shekels for the woman. I didn't make up the numbers. Do not shoot the messenger here. Do not shoot the messenger. Why is the value of a, of a woman less than the value of a man? I'm assuming, I'm assuming, and I believe the commentaries explain this, that this was based on an old school valuation of the value of human beings when there was such a thing like, and I, this is not a good thing, but when there was something as a slave trader or whatever, and the, the reality is that, that males were worth more than females. We're not talking about slavery now, but just the value of a man or a woman. That's what, uh, and I, I'm very uncomfortable with, with uh, you know, this value. Talk, we talk about equity in the workplace, right? Equality and pay. And it's, um, it, it seems a little old school, shall we say, right? This seems a little old school. And yet, in a certain framework, Perhaps this can be understood. And if a person, and we also, we also, I'm just going to use the word discriminate, or we also differentiate, there you go, based on age, right? 20 to 60 is one metric, but 5 to 20 is a different metric. Yes, Mark. I have a positive spin for the different valuation. Okay, uh-oh. It's my understanding <laughs> that among those who raise animals, the females are worth more than the males. And so, if females are valued less than males, maybe that's a way of saying we're not animals. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. Okay. Perhaps. Perhaps. It also differentiates between ages. And if the person is from five years old until 20 years old, in other words, the person here is saying, you know, I pledge the value of so-and-so to the temple. Well, how much are they worth? Imagine if somebody says, I'll give the value of Riva <laughs> to the, what does that mean? Like, how, what is that? Priceless. I mean, seriously. But what is the value? So if 5 to 20, the value of a male shall be 20 shekels, while that of a female shall be 10 shekels. 
And if the person is from one month until five years old, we're getting very detailed. The value of a male shall be five silver shekels, while the value of a female shall be three silver shekels. Three silver shekels. What about over 60? If the person is 60 years old or over, if it is a male, the value shall be 15 shekels, while for a female, it shall be 10 shekels. So now it's divided based on gender and based on age. Super politically correct is this reading, as you can tell. Super duper politically correct, right? Differentiating based on gender and based on age in 2022. Nonetheless, this is the Torah's formula for evaluation. And I will tell you something else because it just came to me, this thought. Buy insurance and tell me if there's not in the actuary war room, if there's not a guide based on gender and age that says about different prices, prices or different, I don't know, whatever the right term, I'm not in the insurance business, whatever the right term is, right? Different um, costs and, and, and uh, you know, different fees and different evaluations based on age and gender. So the Torah is also doing this. Okay. Torah is doing this and it says 20 to 60, male this, female that. 5 to 20, male this, female that. Uh, month, One month to, 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 to five years for the male, for the female. Over 60 for male, female, etc. As you just saw. Okay. Now, hold on. Now the, the discussion continues. Take a look, see at this. But, verse 8. If he's too poor to pay the valuation amount, okay? Let's say a person like had big, had big eyes. Is that what you say, big eyes? So like, oh, I'm going to donate the value of so-and-so to the temple. And then they ran the numbers and he can't afford it. So what does he do? So he shall stand him up before the Kohen and the Kohen shall evaluate him according to how much the one who is vowing his value can afford. Basically, well, how much can you afford? Boom, give that to the temple. Um, okay, let's stop here for a moment. They tell a story about a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad. This chassid had the, I'm going to call it the, um, he had a bit of an unlucky run in meeting the Alter Rebbe. He wanted to meet his... He was a chassid. He was a disciple. He followed the Alter Rebbe's teachings and his customs and his ways, but he never met him face to face. This is a time before video and before social media. You couldn't just see people, you know, from a distance. You had to actually be there in person to see them. He never saw the Alter Rebbe. And for some reason, it seemed like they were never destined to see each other because every time he would try to meet him, some mishap happened so one day, this chassid finds out that the Alter Rebbe is going to be staying at a certain inn and in a certain room in the inn. So he literally sneaks into the room before the Alter Rebbe gets there and he hides under the bed. He figures he's going to be there when the Alter Rebbe walks in by hook or by crook and he's going to meet the Alter Rebbe. He's going to meet his Rebbe once and for all. And in his mind... He prepared a Torah question to ask. Because when you meet a Rebbe, you're not just shooting the breeze. Hey, the weather's nice. Right? You're going to speak words of Torah. So he prepared a question 
on the tractate Erchin, which is the tractate that covers these laws that we just read about evaluations, about how much someone's worth. When you pledge the value of, of a person, how much, what is that value? There's a whole tractate on that, on these laws. The Yat walks in the room, and before this guy can jump out of the, from under the bed, the Yat said the following. When a young man has a question on Erechin, question on these evaluations or valuations, how to value someone, someone's worth, before he thinks about that question, he needs to think about another question. He needs to think about his own value. He needs to start assessing himself. Before one judges the value of another, one first has to judge the value of oneself. And he walked, with that mic drop, he walked out of the room, and once again, this chassid didn't see his rabbi in person. They didn't have a face-to-face conversation, and they would never see each other face-to-face. It just wasn't, for whatever reason, it wasn't in the cards. But that statement that he said, when a young man has a question on erchen, on evaluating others, he should evaluate himself, means that often in life we judge, we're judgmental of others. Oh, are you, is this guy doing the right thing? Is he doing, is she doing the right thing? Do I like this? Do I like that? Before we get all judgy about others, let's first evaluate ourselves. Are we doing everything that we need to be doing? Are we, you know, firing on all cylinders? Are we maximizing our potential? There's plenty of work to do within. We don't need to look at others. I know that that's not exactly what these laws are talking about. It's more about financial, uh, more monetary pledges to the temple. I get it. But this was the author of a spin on it. Don't ask about others. Let's uh, think about what you need to do yourself to, um, to, uh, for self-improvement. Okay, so that's a story related to these laws. Back inside. Um, number nine, speaking of animals, right? Mark mentioned animals. Here we have now the conversation of animals. Now, if an animal... Of whose type is fit to be brought as an offering to the Lord? Whatever part of it the person donates to the Lord shall become holy. So if a person says, I'm going to pledge this animal to the temple, well, then that animal actually becomes sacred. I mean, not like holy cow, but, oh, look at that. But it becomes a uh, becomes sanctified as, temple dona- as a temple donation. He shall not exchange it or offer a substitute for it. Whether it be a good one or a bad one, or a bad uh, sorry, whether it be a good one for a bad one or a bad one for a good one, um, if you if you say my cow over here or my goat or my sheep, I pledge that to the temple. That's it. It's, you can't use it. If it's an ox, uh, this ox, my ox, I'm going to give to the temple. I pledge to the temple. You know what you can't do anymore. You can't use that ox to plow your field. It's not yours anymore. You pledged it. If you pledge it, it becomes holy. And if you're like, well, you know what? Let me change. Let me exchange it for another animal. Let me switch it out. Let me swap it out for another one because I really want to use this one now. I changed my mind. You can't do that. Torah says, but if he does substitute one animal for, the, for another animal, both that one and its replacement shall be holy. If you say, you know what? I want to switch that out for another one. Guess what? The first one's status remains holy, and now the new one becomes holy. You just multiplied it. You didn't divide it. Now, what if it's an unclean animal? Let's say a person pledges a donkey to the temple. Well, donkeys aren't kosher. You can't bring them up as sacrifices. What's the temple going to do with a donkey? If it's, and if it is any unclean animal, that means a non-kosher animal, of whose type shall not be brought as an offering to the Lord, 
Then he shall stand up the animal before the Kohen. The Kohen shall then evaluate the animal, whether it's good or bad. Like the evaluation of the Kohen, so shall it be. The Kohen will say, you know, okay, it's worth this, it's worth that. And then obviously the person, instead of giving the donkey to the temple, you can't do anything with the donkey, you can't bring it up as an offering. So they will swap, he'll give the value or give another animal for it. But if he redeems it, he shall add its fifth to its value. You pay an extra fifth, I don't know, penalty, but you give an extra fifth as part of that um, redemption process. Okay, that's with animals. Final case, if a man consecrates his house to be holy to the Lord. Okay, what do you, well, now what, what do you do with the house? The Kohen shall evaluate it. Does a home inspection, whether good or bad. As the Kohen evaluates it, so shall it remain. In other words, that is the, the Kohen will evaluate how much it's worth and how much you're on the hook to give. But if the one who consecrates it redeems his house, he shall add to it a fifth of its valuation money and it shall be his. So either I guess you have to donate the house, you have to give the house to the temple. If you want to switch it for something else, then you have to add a fifth. All right, let's see Rashi's on this. Let's see Rashi's. Interesting. Rashi says about fixed value. The value stated here is not an expression of monetary value, the usual market value of a person sold as a slave. It's not based on the slave market, but whether he has a high, value, a high market value or a low one, the value fixed for him in this passage is according to his age. It's interesting. It's interesting. Based on gender and age. It's not based on strength and ability. If, you know, back in the day with that slave market, um, as painful as to talk about, so a person was assessed based on their strength and skill set and whatever. It's kind of like, you know, anyone even today in, in the job, job force or think about, you know, any, yeah, I mean, any, based on your experience and your skills and your abilities, you'll get an offer, you know, either higher or lower based on all of that. So, but the Torah says that's not what's going on here. When a person says, you know, I'm going to don donate the value of so-and-so to the temple, you don't start assessing this guy, how much is he worth on the open market? It's a fixed value based on age and gender. Um, okay. Yeah, if he's five years old, not that if, not that the one who's vowing is a minor. Rashi's just clarifying. Because a minor's words have no validity. If a minor says, I pledge to the temple, it doesn't mean anything. The kid doesn't know what he's saying. Rather, I mean, doesn't have any legal, you don't demand it from the child. Rather, versus speaking of an adult who says, I take upon myself to donate to the te temple the value of this five-year-old. Okay, as I mentioned before. Um, look at this. Interesting. Rashi's getting into the proportions here. When people reach a venerable age, a woman's value becomes closer to that of a man. Rashi, Rashi is really leaning into this. This is why a man decreases in value in his old age to beyond a third of his value as an adult, namely from 50 shekels to 15. Yeah, guys really drop when they get older. Over 60 goes from 50 to 15, while a woman in her old age decreases to only one third of her value, namely from 30 to 10. So 50 to 15 is more of a drop than 30 to 10. Why? As people say, an old man in the house is a breach in the house. <laughs> breach in the house. 
An old man in the house is a breach. Breach means like, what do you call it, breach? Broken. I and mean, it's like, uh, what is it? It says there is something broken in the house. Yeah. It's like a, a, a pain in the house or a snare in the house. While an old woman in the house is a hidden treasure in the house and a good sign for the house. I don't know. I mean, look, are we now really ranking Bobby's and Zadie's? They're all good. But there's something, I mean, I, I guess we are. I guess Bobby's are, you know, Bobby's Trump Zadie's. I guess that's what we're saying. I don't know. It's, but either way, you know, uh, 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 an old man, the house is a breach in the house. An old woman in the house is a treasure in the house. There you go. There you have it. Rashi redeems the conversation. All right. Thank you, Rashi. Let's get, um, let's get back to the, the Rashis. Um, okay, here we go. Rashi says about donating an animal or pledging a part of an animal. If a person says the leg of this animal shall be a burnt offering. Imagine a person says that. The leg of this sheep shall be a burnt offering. A burnt offering, the whole animal is brought as a burnt offering. offering, the whole animal is put on the altar. So this guy says the leg of this animal should be a burnt offering. What, what, What do you do? So Rashi says his words have validity. And how is his vow um, ex, expedited? What do you do with this? The entire animal, so here's what you do. The entire animal, except for its legs, should be sold to one who needs a burnt offering. And the money received from the sale, which excludes the value of that limb, as stated above, becomes non-consecrated. And then the entire animal can be brought by both parties as a burnt offering. So imagine, just if you will, the sheep is worth $1,000. The leg, 50, I don't know, uh, 50, let's, let's say 100. The, the animal's 1,000 and the leg is 100. Guy says, oh, I'm going to donate the leg as a burnt offering. What do you do? You can't just bring the leg, you have to bring the whole animal. So the guy, whoever said that, sells the animal to a different party, the rest of the animal, not the leg. So he gets 900 bucks. Minus the right, a thousand minus the hundred for the leg. Then that guy has bought the animal, but he sorry, you find someone who wants to bring a burnt offering anyway. So you sell it to him, he pays you nine hundred, which means that he's giving you, he's buying the animal, but not the leg, because the leg was already consecrated as a burnt offering. That guy brings the burnt offering on behalf of him and you. Okay, it's a complicated scenario, but that's how it's done, where the whole animal is brought and there's a monetary exchange as well. Um, he should not exchange a good one for a bad one or a bad one for a good one. Okay. Um, oh, interesting. Interesting. I misspoke. Rashi explains that an unclean animal, if it's pledged, does not refer to a non-kosher animal. Rather, the text is speaking about a blemished animal, which is unclean or unfit for sacrifice. So it's a kosher animal, but it's, let's say, got a broken leg or got something else going on that it can't be brought as an offering. Scripture is teaching us that unblemished, consecrated animals cannot leave their holy status and enter into a mundane status through redemption unless they become blemished. You cannot swap out your pledge animal for another animal and then use it 
um, unless it becomes blemished and unfit, and then you can exchange it. Um, Uh, if he redeems it, i.e. if the owner himself redeems his animal, scripture is more stringent with the owner. Redeems it would mean, not exchange, redeems it means, okay, I pledge this animal uh, to the temple, but you know what, I, I just want to buy myself out. Like, I'll just give the, I'll just give the money. Okay, we say, fine, you want to you buy it out, fine. But you can't exchange with another animal, what if you want to do a buyout? Okay, the cow, the animal, let's say the same thousand dollars. Like the sheep is worth a thousand. I said, I'm going to give the sheep. Whoops, I need the sheep. Can I give the money instead? I want to redeem it for money and give the money. Sure, but now you have to add a fifth. Right? Scripture is more stringent with the owner, obligating him to add a fifth to its value. Likewise, in the case of one who consecrates his house, and then who wants to redeem that, and likewise in the case of one who consecrates his field, and likewise in the case of the redemption of the second tithe, in all these cases, the owner must add a fifth to the value but no one else who redeems these items must add a fifth. So it's only the owner. It's a clause for the owner. Okay, that takes us to the end of today's study. Um, so in summation, we did two major things today. Number one, we concluded our conversation about the blessings and curses and, you know, blessings, uh, sorry, curses, blessings, curses that can be read as blessings. I read the story from Tractate Mod Katan from the Talmud about Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai's son who went for blessings, got curses, got what he thought was curses, but they were really blessings. We spoke about that. And of course, we spoke about the evaluations and I shared the story of the Alter Rebbe and his chassid. And he told him, stop worrying about others. Worry about yourself. Not in a narcissistic way, not in a selfish way, but stop thinking about what everyone else is doing right or wrong. Think about yourself. Where am I holding? Am I doing everything right? What can I improve? It's easy to point out the flaws in everyone else. Oh, it's easy to be judgmental of others. But let's turn that analysis, that introspection, that, let's turn that analysis on ourselves by being introspective and engaging in the process of self-improvement. Thank you for joining me today for DBP. Hope that you enjoyed it. Tonight is Torah Studies. Tonight's Torah Studies class is called, one second, a great class tonight. I'm just blanking on the title. It is called... Hold on. You're feeling uninspired? Great. Now's your chance. Okay? Those moments of lacking, in the moments that we're lacking inspiration, as we'll see tonight, those are the perfect moments, the perfect moments to step up and do something absolutely incredible. Okay, that's all tonight, and you should know that the conversation is based on It's based on the conclusion of this week's Torah portion, which we have not yet studied. The Chazak, the fact that we're concluding the book of Leviticus this week, and the two mitzvot that conclude the Torah portion and the book. All right, all tonight, 7.30, be there. Don't be square. Quick, be there, yes. Quick, Rabbi Ari, quick question. Um, if the Chukasara has curses which are really blessings. I know that when it's read, the curses are read in, an, in, an, in a softer voice. Correct. In any congregation, are they not? 
No. Are they read louder? No, yeah. because again, every, it, it is on the surface, and not only on the surface, but it, they are negative, negative uh, promises or predictions. That the Kabbalah says, but if you look deeply, if you work with the negative, if you work with the sin, you can actually exploit it for the good. But that's already second step. First step is, right, there is a story. There's a really powerful story. Maybe the Kloisenberger Rebbe, he was a survivor. Hasidic Rebbe was a survivor of the Holocaust. After the war, he had a synagogue, I think in New York or Israel, whatever. And um, I think it was him. And somebody, and the Torah reader was reading it low. And he said, Hecher, Yiddish. He said in Yiddish, Hecher, Hecher, which means louder, louder. Why? They asked him why. He says, I want God to hear all these curses because we've gone through all of them. Now it's time to bring Mashiach. All of these curses we just had. He's a survivor of the Holocaust. He was in the, in the camps. He said, we lived all of these. Well, I don't know if it was the 49 or the 98, whether it's this week's Torah portion or the one before Rosh Hashanah and Kitavo. What, either way, he said, one of them, he said, Hecher, Hecher, let Hashem hear and remember that he already did all these. Time's up. Let's go. Bring, bring the blessings. Bring Mashiach. May it be so for all of us immediately. All right, thanks for joining. We'll see you, what's tomorrow? Oh, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is JLI at noon in person, so not tomorrow. Friday, we're back on. And uh, wow, the week is flying by. Friday, we'll conclude the Torah portion and chazak it up. All right, take care, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Be well. Thanks for joining. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.